he was he made the he made the statement that it was a real shame that youth was wasted on the young. And when I come to this subject, I kind of feel the same way because 30 years ago I sat where you sat and now as a person who has lived two-thirds of his life, the teaching on Christian liberty in the Scriptures seems so abundantly clear and it's so abundantly reasonable to me. And yet I know from where you're sitting that it's one of those real areas that you grapple with in terms of what does it mean to be free in Christ? What does it mean to be able to exercise your Christian freedom. And I want to talk to you this morning about that. So if you have your Bibles, please open them to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we'll be kind of camping on one verse this morning when we get there. But I want to lay the groundwork first of all. And what I want to do this morning is I want to, I want to set up a, a, uh, a comparison, if I might. And I want to start by giving you a little, a little history lesson or government lesson as to how our own system works, our own political system works, as it relates to this whole issue of human liberty. I don't have to tell you that one of the greatest blessings that people have throughout the world is the blessing of human liberty or human freedom. Especially in this country, where we have enjoyed that as a basic premise for lo these 200 years. And yet, as we come into the latter part of the 20th century, it is obvious to us to any of us who look around in our culture every day, that freedom has gone wild. And today what we have in America is really what I would call autonomous freedom. And what really is lacking today, even in our political culture, is the boundaries that freedom must have. Now, when our country was founded by our, by our founding fathers back in 1789, a document was written, and that document was called the Constitution. And what the Constitution does for us who live in a free country is to prescribe the boundaries of our liberty. You need to understand that. Liberty never operates without boundaries. There is always a structure to liberty. That is, within our culture, we are free to operate within the parameters, within the legal parameters that are set down for us by our Constitution. And the genius of our Constitution is that it takes a realistic view of human nature. That is, that men are not angels. And therefore, our Constitution sets up checks and balances so that power will not be abused in the self-interest of individuals or groups. So the goal then of our Founding Fathers was to set up a structure that would produce a maximum amount of personal liberty without the abuse. But as I said a moment ago, the problem today that we face culturally is that we have moved into an, uh, an, into an area of what I would call autonomous freedom, where really there is nothing that the individual can do anymore that relates at all to any type of boundaries or any type of control. And likewise, as we Americans enjoy liberty, we as Christians also enjoy liberty in the Lord. Christ Himself tells us in John 8.36, If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And Paul writes to the Galatians and he says this, Stand fast therefore in the liberty with which Christ has set you free. Now, this is one of the most misunderstood principles 
in all of Scripture. And there's a reason for it. Most Christians react in one or two ways to this whole idea of Christian liberty. On the one hand, they abuse it. They abuse it. That is, they basically feel as Christians that they have absolutely no structure or no accountability, really, to anybody. We would call these people libertines, if you will. Libertines. A biblical word that was used for these kinds of people were antinomians. The antinomians were a group of people in the first century that basically thought that since God's grace had been shed abroad in their life, it really didn't matter what they would do. They could sin and sin and sin and sin because God's grace was always there to forgive them. This was a heresy that was prevalent in the first century church. And I'm sure you know Christians today or professing Christians that live like this. So on the one hand, there is the tendency to abuse our Christian liberty. On the other hand, there is the tendency to reduce it to a formula or do's of do's and don'ts. And we call those people not libertines, but what? Legalists. That is, they have a problem in determining, they have really too much structure in terms of determining what they should do within this framework of Christian liberty. Now, there's another group, and I would hope after we get through this message this morning that that's where you would desire to be. And I would call this group the liberated. Those are the Christians that enjoy their Christian liberty as God intended it to be enjoyed. And so the point is simply this. Christian liberty should not produce abuse any more than political liberty should. And yet we find a lot of abuse within our culture today. Personal freedom and self-fulfillment dominate our culture today. Those are the two greatest goals that most individuals strive for today. Within that is materialism and everything else. It's personal freedom and personal self-fulfillment. And you see, that leads to a permissive society, which we have all around us today. So obviously then... When you talk about liberty, even in a political sense or in a biblical sense, liberty always opens the possibility for abuse. You need to understand that. Liberty always opens the possibility for abuse. And as I said a moment ago, we live in a society that basically has closed its eyes to the limitations on the uses of liberty. And I honestly believe this will eventually lead to our nation's own self-destruction. Now, when we get into the epistles, it's very interesting that we can actually look at two churches that kind of line up on, on both sides of this issue of Christian liberty. On the one hand, you have the church at Corinth that totally abused its Christian liberty on the side of license. You had division, you had immorality, You had drunkenness at the Lord's table. You had a misunderstanding of how marriage was to work. You also had problems with spiritual gifts. And the list goes on and on and on. And so in the Corinthian church, what was being practiced there in the name of Christian liberty was as the Greek philosophers would call, license. They were abusing their Christian liberty on the side of license. 
On the other hand, you have the church at Galatia who was totally tied in to all the rules and regulations of Judaism. That is, to be accepted as a Christian in the church at Galatia, you literally had to, to continue to fulfill all the feasts and all the Jewish rituals that had gone on prior to Christ's resurrection. And so for the church at Galatia, you have this big, huge list of do's and don'ts. And so the issue then comes back for us as we look at these two extremes is what is a wise Christian to do? Where should we find ourselves? Well, I think there's some things that we can look for. I think we need to know how our liberty works. I think we need to guard against being either a libertine or a legalist. I think we need to carefully study that which is permitted in the Scriptures. And then also guard against adopting a permissive attitude or lifestyle. Now, as it relates to this text this morning, I want to draw out three things for you that I think will help you in dealing with this whole issue of Christian liberty in your own life and how that's manifested here on the campus at the Master's College. So let's look at verse 23 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Very, very simple and straightforward verse. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Now keep your finger right there. Go back to chapter 6, verse 12. Because we almost have a mere verse given to us back in chapter 6 and verse 12 in dealing with the whole issue of uh, the sanctity of marriage, especially dealing with the whole issue of sexual immorality. And look what Paul says in verse 12 of chapter 6. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Now go back now to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, keeping verse 12 of chapter 6 in mind. Okay. And what I want to look at then this morning are these three specific points. First of all, the law of liberty. That is the principles of Christian liberty before God. Secondly, the limitations on our liberty. And thirdly, the lifestyle of the liberated. Okay, the law of liberty, the limitations of liberty are on liberty, and the lifestyle of the liberated. First of all, the law of liberty. Paul says, all things are lawful for me. It's very interesting that the operative word that begins this thought is the word all. It do he doesn't say, some things are lawful for me as a believer. He says, all things are lawful lawful for me. Now, what in the world is he getting at here? The point is simply this. As we said in the beginning, mankind has always yearned for liberty. And one of the greatest plans of the greatest corrupter of liberty, Satan, is to get us to abuse our liberty. Now, what I want to do real briefly is, to, is just to, in a historical overview, very very, very quickly show you how this came to pass. Go to Isaiah chapter 14. Go to Isaiah chapter 14. And in seeing this, you will get an idea of what it means to, to have a misunderstanding of liberty. Isaiah 14. And here we have the only passage in the Scripture that deals directly with Satan being cast out of heaven. Okay? Isaiah chapter 14. Look at verse 12. 
Okay. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down, cut down to the ground, who didst weaken the nations? Now, as I read verses 13 and 14, I want you to zero in on the word I. Because if you put yourself first, you will never understand what the Bible is teaching about Christian liberty. You will, you will always have the big eye in the way. Now watch this as we read these two verses. For thou hast said in thine heart, here it comes, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. What's the problem here for Satan? He was not superior enough. He rejected God's authority over him or God's boundaries. Now let's go from Satan now to the garden. Go to Genesis chapter 3. And we'll see also that Adam had a problem with, with, Christ, with his liberty. Look at Genesis chapter 3, the account of the fall. Okay? Look at verse 5, Genesis chapter 3. Satan is talking to Eve. Look what he says. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, that your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as God, knowing good and evil. What seed did Satan sow right here in the mind of Eve? The seed was this that God was holding something back from them. That's, imper that's, that's implicit in the question. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof. And so what Satan is saying here is Satan is implying that God wants to hold back some kind of knowledge or blessing from Eve. And that's precisely what happens so often when we're dealing with the area of Christian liberty. We believe that within the boundaries that are set for us as we exercise our liberty, that something is being held back from us. Okay, It goes a step farther. Go to Romans chapter 1. And we'll see the same thing. The same thing is said by the Apostle Paul about the first generations coming right down to the time in which we live. Go to Romans chapter 1. We'll be, then we'll be done turning. Alright? For a while. Romans chapter 1. Look in verse 18. For when the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth and unrighteousness, because, when they knew, because that which may be known of God is manifested in them, for God hath shown it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So here it comes. Because when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. The point simply is, all the way down, whether it's Satan, whether it's Adam and Eve, whether it's mankind, what you have here is mankind, Adam and Eve, and Satan pushing against the boundaries 
that God has set for them so that they might really, truly enjoy their liberty. Enjoy doing and being what they were created to be by God Himself. Now, the Corinthians were just like this. They abused their freedom on the side of license. And Paul comes to them and preaches that Christians can have real liberty in Christ and they don't have to be libertines. And the same message is preached to the Galatians that they can have, have liberty in Christ and not be legalists. And this is a revolutionary message, especially when one looks at the views, or especially the traditional views, as it relates to religious freedom. You know, so often what happens today is that the message is inverted. Let me tell you what I mean. You think about this. You ever been around a Christian that lives their life from the standpoint or from their reality that justification is the reward of sanctification, not the other way around? It's the idea of if I get my life in the line, or even an unsaved person, if I get my life in the line, then I can get right with God. If I can get my life as to how it ought to be, then I can get right with God. You see, that's man-centered. That is man-centered and it is works-oriented. That is justification. Our salvation is a reward of our sanctification. And that is the basis of all world religions outside of Christianity. The pagans offer sacrifices to deities. The Greeks observe certain festivals. The Jews keep the law of Moses. The Catholics merit the merit of Christ, the Mass, the last rites. It's what you do that gives you salvation. And by the way, there's some fundamentalists that believe thou shalt not smoke and thou shalt not chew and thou shalt not go with girls that do, but thou shalt go to movies and shalt then rent that thou shalt not go to movies, but thou shalt rent a VCR and a, and a video two weeks later and watch it at home. You know, the point simply is that we as Christians also set up our whole list of do's and don'ts, and what we do with that is then we basically say that that gives us standing before God. And we then doubt the salvation experience of anyone that doesn't what? That doesn't absolutely check off on what we consider to be the lifestyle of a believer. Now, what happens here is simply this. People mistakenly believe that what they do, hear this, people mistakenly believe, many Christians mistakenly believe that what they do gives them standing in God's sight. You understand that? What you do makes you better in God's sight. Listen, you will never be any better in God's sight 30 years after you were saved than the first day you were saved. There's absolutely nothing you can do that will add to the righteousness that Christ gave you through His work on the cross and through His resurrection when you accepted Him as your personal Savior. And yet so often we believe that what we do can add standing before God. It absolutely cannot. We will positionally never, never get any, never, never get anything else more than what we got when we accepted Christ as our personal Savior in terms of standing. Now here's what happens. Then Paul comes to these freedom-abusing churches and rejects this message. Both extremes. Why? Because liberty is a free gift of the grace of God. Did you hear that? Liberty is a free gift of the grace of God. All things are lawful for me. You see, I don't get my life in the line with God so I can be blessed. God blesses me so much through His grace 
that I have an overwhelming desire to bring my life into line with God's character. You see, if you really begin to think seriously about what God has done for you in saving you, that should be the greatest motivation for you to live the kind of life that would be pleasing unto Him. I am perfectly free in God's grace. What I eat, where I go, does not determine my standing before God. Did you hear that? What I eat, where I go, does not determine my standing before God. The blood of Christ determines my standing before God. But here's the problem. Paul doesn't end there. Go back to verse 23. All things are lawful for me. The biggest little word in the English language. But all things are not expedient. And here Paul begins to delineate the limitations on Christian liberty. Now, young people, listen. There are two kinds of limitations on your liberty and on my liberty. Okay? The first one is compul the first ones are compulsory limitations. Remember what I said? That liberty has a boundary, has an environment, and as long as you're within that as a Christian, you have the freedom to exercise your liberty in the way that God intended it. The problem is once you get outside those boundaries, that's when you begin to have problems. Look at chapter 10, go down to verses 7, 8, and 9, and you'll see some of these things that are set out here in terms of these external boundaries, if you will. Chapter 10, go back to verses 7, 8, and 9. Neither be ye idolaters, as were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat, talking about the children of Israel, and drink, and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us put Christ to the test, as some of them also test them and were destroyed by serpents. And there are a number of other passages in the New Testament where Paul basically delineates this boundary. That there are certain activities that are totally outside the boundaries of the exercise of Christian liberty. And my point is simply this. If you can understand this, it will really help you. Freedom always has an environment. Okay? Picture this. How many of you have ever seen a California gray whale off the coast of California? Any of you at all seen a whale? Have you seen pictures of whales? Videos of whales? Okay. They're very graceful creatures to watch. They're very, very entertaining. They're just very, there's just something about watching a whale in the water as they go up or down the coast that really is, is very, very exciting. But the point is simply this. If you take that whale out of its environment, if that whale gets beached and that whale begins to die and finally dies, you don't really see it or understand it within the environment for which it was created. And what you need to understand as a believer is that your environment is in the Lord. Let me say that again. Your environment is in the Lord. You're free to be the person God has called you to be in your relationship to the Lord. Look at verse 31 of chapter 10. Wherefore, therefore, ye eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to who? What does it say? Do all to who? The glory of God. So there is the boundary. The boundary is the glory of God. The question you always ask yourself is not what can I do or what can I do, but will it bring God glory? That's the issue. And what have you done here? You see, you've taken the focus off of who? 
You've taken the focus off yourself and you've focused on God. You see, half our problem, young people, in life is we focus on the wrong person. Don't we? That's the flesh. We tend to focus on ourselves. That's what Satan did. That's what Eve did. That's what the first generations and all mankind do today, even in our culture. But the point simply is, our environment is in the Lord. Whatever, therefore, you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The question is not, the question is not what is in it for me, but what is in it for God? Will God be glorified? That's the issue. I'll tell you what. If you begin as a, as a young person to develop a habit of life that when you get up in the morning and you have your devotions, which you should do, the last thing that you should ask God every single day is, God, help me in every activity to bring you glory. To bring you glory. In the down times, in the good times, our freedom is in the Lord. And you take a Christian outside of a relationship called Lordship and he's no more free than that beached whale as he lies dead and stinking on the beach. Now under the Lordship of Christ then, that is our environment. But he goes on and he says this as well. Look what he says as it relates to some of our voluntary limitations. He says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. Let's look at that for a minute. And this is where I think this can really help you. It may be a particular thing you do or I do is not mentioned directly in the Scripture. There is not a direct statement against a particular activity in the Scripture. But that's not the way you should think. The, the idea is simply this. I choose to place a voluntary restriction on it because it is not expedient or profitable. Do you hear that? The idea is this. The question you should ask yourself in these kinds of activities that are not black and white in Scripture, one of the questions you can ask yourself is, is it profitable? Will I benefit from this? Will others benefit from this because I am engaged in this particular activity? Let me put it this way. You know, being in college life for 23 years, you get used to having students come up to you. And most students, as most people do, they always tend to ask, when there's a, when there's a fine line or a question, they always tend to ask a question that has to do with, well, is this okay? Is this permissible? Right? And what are you doing when you ask a question like that usually? You're trying to get as close, you're trying to, get as close to the line as you can get. And, I, and I, what I'm telling you is this. You're asking the wrong question. The question you ought to ask yourself is not, is something permissible? The question you ought to ask yourself is, is it profitable? Virtually profit from what I am going to do in terms of this activity. You see, it may be totally permissible. It's a gray area. But that's not enough. You've got to go to the second step and ask yourself the question, is it spiritually profitable. You know, many of us spend a lot of time doing that which is permissible, but that which is not profitable. Think in your own life. Think of your time. 
You know, I, uh, I, I've grown a little bit in this over the past years. I'm glad my wife's not here to, back to challenge me on this, but I, I think I really have made progress. Uh, I used to be, I used to be uh, almost totally controlled at one point in my life uh, by athletics on television. I mean, if I knew something was on and I couldn't watch it, it would be almost like going through withdrawals. Okay? That kind, that kind of power. Now, was there anything was there anything wrong with watching with watching an athletic event? No, it was permissible. But what I found myself doing was I was just wasting way, way too much time. Okay, now I don't know what it is in your life. You know, it might be totally what you're doing might be totally permissible, but it might not really be that profitable for you as a Christian in terms of your of your spiritual maturation and growth. And so the question you need to ask, besides is it permissible, you need to ask the question in these gray areas. Is it profitable? In the areas of your time, your energy, your use of money, is it profitable? Don't ask what's wrong with it, but is it profitable in light of eternity? Okay? That's one very important thing. Now let, me show you, let me show you another one. Go back to chapter 6. So one of the limitations is this. You know, Paul says once again, all things are not expedient. Now go to chapter 6 and he says something else that I want to pull in here. Look at chapter 6, verse 12. And we'll wrap this up. Look what he says. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. Now here, follow along. That's almost the same quote. All things are lawful for me. Now here's a great one. And you need to underline this. I'm free to do these things, but I, the Apostle Paul, will not be brought under the power of anything. Alright? What's he saying there? He's saying this. Something in your life that you do might be permissible. It's a gray area. There might not be anything wrong with it at all from a, from a scriptural standpoint. But then the issue might be, is it too powerful for me to handle? Who controls who is the issue. And it, there might be something that is totally permissible, but you can't control it. It's too powerful. It has too much of a hold on your life. I don't know what that might be. But if you're a human being, I know you're struggling with these things as a Christian. There are things in your life that you know good and well are too powerful for you that you can't handle. And the issue then is, is you must, through the power of the Holy Spirit, Put yourself in a position where you are not confronted by those things. There are areas of sin that are like this as well, that are very, very powerful, as well as gray areas. And what you've got to do is you've basically got to discipline yourself through the power of the Spirit, literally to walk away or even flee those kinds of things. I don't know what it is in your life. But I, I will tell you this. I know there are things in your life that you're dealing with right now that are too powerful for you. And you know what Paul says about things like that? He uses a very interesting four-letter four word. He says, flee. Turn your back. Move away. They're too powerful. Don't put yourself in an environment where those things are always creeping up. You know, that's why some people basically, I come back to television because it's the most pervasive entertainment media in our, in our, in our country today. 
you know, that's what people do when they, when they get rid of their television sets. What are they really doing? And for some people, they have to do that. And in getting rid of it, what they're really saying is, I can't have this thing in the house because even though I'm watching good things, it's taking up too much time. It's too powerful for me. I can't control it. So what do you do with it? You get rid of it. Hey, some of you guys, it might be your car. I don't know. You know, the amount of money and the amount of time and everything else you put into it, that, that material thing literally controls your life. Did you ever think about that? That's the issue here. So the point, once again, is if it's too powerful, if it's too powerful for you, then Paul says, get away from it. Back to verse 23 and we're done. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. And here this now reaches beyond you to your roommate and to your, to your college friend and to the community right here at the Master's College. All things, Paul says, edify not. That is, we have a responsibility that goes beyond ourselves into horizontal relationships. We do not have the freedom, Paul says, within this context of liberty to do that which will tear down another Christian. Did you hear that? We do not have the freedom to do things that will tear down another Christian. When does that usually happen once again? When we're basically zeroing in on our own agenda rather than giving glory to God and through that building up those in our community around us. So what Paul says here is simply this in chapter 8. You can go back and read it, verses 8 to 13. We are to bring voluntary restraints on our Christian liberty because we realize that if we don't, our ministry will be totally unproductive and it can affect other people's lives. I was listening to a pastor one time many years ago preach a message, and he was preaching on this very subject. And he said for years he'd always been brought up that there was really nothing wrong with going to movies. Okay, and as you well know, we don't have any we don't have a movie policy here in the terms of you attending or not. You, you know that's that's part of your Christian liberty. Obviously, we have policies concerning the kinds of movies you should go to. But the point was, he got to a point in his life, and, and this is how it happened. He was standing outside of a theater one time with his with his wife. I believe. Well, I think he was by himself. And he was in college before he became a pastor. And as he, was give, as he was buying a ticket, a fellow walked by him that recognized him. And this fellow had been caught up in the whole pornographic scene of motion pictures and had been gloriously saved. Now, the problem there was that this man basically identified the movie industry with everything that he'd come out of. And so what, what did that pastor do? What, what was his choice there? He made, a, he, made a, he made a commitment to God at that time that if, if going to a movie meant that he would drag down another believer, he would not what? He would not go. Did it mean he would not go because the movie was bad? No. That he wouldn't go because he, was, because he did not want to affect negatively the spiritual maturation of another believer. That's the idea here. We impose a, we impose a discipline on us, on ourselves, voluntarily. Gang, listen. Our job is to live the lifestyle of a liberated believer. I wish I had more time to develop this, but my time is gone. The governing factor in our lifestyle is not our liberty, but Christ's lordship. If you can just get that down, get off the idea of always thinking about your liberty. 
and begin to zero in on what pleases God, Christ's Lordship. And the motivating force, last of all, you see in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, real quick. Now, as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but what? Love edifies. Edifieth. The idea is simply this, okay? A liberated Christian, first of all, will do everything in his life. The first question he asks is, will it glorify God? And secondly, because he loves his neighbor, he would not do anything to offend or to pull down another believer. Young people, it's really very simple, and you will see this when you get my age. The issue is acknowledging Christ's lordship in every area of our, of our Christian liberty and that we live in his love. And when we do that, we'll enjoy the life of being a liberated Christian. Remember, two things. Don't ask what is permissible. What should you ask? What is what? Profitable. If you've got something in your life that's too powerful for you, what do you do? What? Great. Let's stand. <clears throat> Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to just rapidly fire through a very, very important subject. And I would, I would pray that you would give our dear young people the maturity to understand that the issue is not rules and regulation. The issue is not abuse of our liberty, but the issue is giving you glory in everything that you do and in so doing, loving our neighbor as ourselves. For this will give you all the praise and glory in Christ's name. Amen. You're dismissed.